5 o'clock in Pirate Country, and 94.3 The Game is going to get you home with the P-Man. In 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Lock it in, turn it up. It's time for the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. This is the flagship station of the ECU Pirates. Welcome in, everybody. It's great to be with you. Uh, 48 hours after a big ECU basketball win. We'll still talk about it. We'll still talk a little bit about it. Uh, 24 hours after uh, the Panthers had the official press conference hiring uh, Matt Rule. Uh, And uh, we'll still talk about it. We'll still talk about it. Thank you for being with us uh, here. Boy, it was cold today. At least to me it was. And uh, we're getting you ready for the uh, ride home here, or with you on the ride home. Uh, the major news today, as I see it, boys, is uh, Mike Leach to Mississippi State. That's kind of the deal, as far as coaching hiring goes. Not surprising. I would guess that this deal may have indicated it could have been done, and that's one reason Mississippi State, kind of after the fact, parted ways with uh, their prior head coach. Uh, they did go to a poll, but uh, there you go. Uh, Mike Leach, in the state of Mississippi next year, get this. You're going to have Mike Leach, right, and Lane Kiffin. Let's go back to Thanksgiving night for a timeline here. Uh, the Ole Miss receiver celebrates a touchdown by, by pantomiming, lifting his leg to pee like a dog. Right? And Ole Miss then let's gets rid of their coach. Ole Miss hires Lane Kiffin. Mississippi State fires its coach after their bowl game. And then Mississippi State hires Mike Leach. I don't I don't foresee the things not still being a little crazy around the state of Mississippi in those two programs next year. I think the egg bowl will be lit next year, is what I think. The Egg Bowl will be lit. So Mike Leach to Mississippi State. Mike Leach, who coached? Washington State. ECU alum? Yep. Garner Minshew. Garner Minshew. Minshew Mania. Coached him into Heisman contention, right? Uh, There's no doubt that Mike Leach knows offense. And I think it's fair to say that by and large, even though LSU and Joe Burrow are putting up tremendous offensive numbers this year, and Alabama, I don't think, at times gets credit for their explosiveness on offense during this run. A lot of people talk a lot about the defense, but they really haven't had until their last couple of quarterbacks this just explosive, dynamic kind of quarterback. Uh, they would do it by running the football and having a quarterback that was sort of, I don't want to say game manager, but certainly didn't make a lot of mistakes. Uh, with Tua, they had, obviously, this rare unicorn kind of player that could do everything. Uh, Jalen Hurts was in that vein, quite frankly. 
uh, as well. Maybe not to the level of Tua, but still very, very good. And was a Heisman candidate himself this year. I mean, he went to every playoff in all four of his years playing college football. So two just, you know, explosive quarterbacks there. I think the way, especially somewhere you're, if you're in a lower half type of team, it's a little easier to, to especially the SEC, but anywhere, get your program going by being offensive-minded. Because if you're able to score points, you're able to stay in games. Uh, if you struggle scoring points, you could have a great defense, but you know, you've got to be able to put some points on the board in order to eventually win these games. The defense will, which you ultimately want to get to, but a way to make a quick move, in my opinion, is is offense. And with Mike Leach, you can maybe make a quick move because the offense will be explosive. The offense uh, will probably be better than it was this year for Mississippi State, I would think. Uh, we had uh, ECU with what I think a lot of people would consider, and I, and I certainly said it going in, it was the most important game of the year. That was the biggest win uh, since Joe Dooley's return to Greenville and probably the biggest win this season. ECU will be back in action Saturday against SMU because of uh, all of the snafus uh, from yesterday, which we uh, wholeheartedly apologize for, uh, but the Gremlins got us. We're going to uh, give away not one but two family four-packs of uh, tickets. We also did a poll uh, yesterday on Twitter that uh, ended this morning about the Matt Rule hiring. And we did it with uh, emojis because uh, that's what the kids like. We did the smiley emoji. We did sort of the plain face emoji. We did a frowny face emoji. And the vast majority of the people who responded in our poll were pretty optimistic about Matt Rule uh, in that they either had kind of that flat no opinion, which was actually the winning tally, I believe, and then uh, the happy face. The sad face did not uh, get that many votes. I was a little surprised. So I think a lot of people are taking very much a wait-and-see approach we're going to talk to Antoine Staley about this. Antoine, ECU uh, alum, covers the, the Panthers now. He's covered the NFL, covering the Dolphins and others. He was at yesterday's uh, tent revival press conference. It was kind of like uh, part evangelical tent revival, part high school graduation, uh, part acceptance speech. Just a very weird event in general. Well, a lot of energy. Yeah. A lot of energy. Uh, people like to say winning the press conference. Uh, Matt Rule had a lot of energy. Uh, the call between David Tepper and Matt Rule, which uh, happened two days ago when we were in the midst of uh, our show. In fact, we either this either came out right at like midway point of our show or after our, we went off the air on uh, uh, Tuesday. And uh, this, was, uh, this was that audio. It sounds like Tepper has... Matt Rule's children hostage, and, and this is what, and Rule's, you know, going to answer, yes, I'll do it. And so now he gets his kids back. Listen, I mean, he just sounds like this is the last thing on earth he wants to do, even though he's getting paid a ton of money. Oh, and I got something on that in, in just a second, but let's play this first. So we got a deal? Yeah, yeah, we, uh, we want to talk. All right, well, listen, I'm, I'm so freaking happy. Okay, I can't even tell you. I think we're going to have a great partnership, Matt. Yes, sir. Matt Rule sounds terrified. Uh, much better in the press conference yesterday, though. So there's a report out of Sports Illustrated today that the NFL owners are not happy. Well, this is an NFL South coach telling Sports Illustrated that the owners are not happy with what Tepper paid Matt Rule because that brings the coaching 
salary numbers up for a head coach. And apparently there's going to be some form of of retribution freezing out David Tepper at the upcoming owners' meetings. Tepper will not be, I guess, included on any big decisions. This is what this NFC South coach is telling the, the guy who wrote it for Sports Illustrated or reported this for Sports Illustrated. But the coaching salary does not go – I mean, they're getting upset over this. Of all the things owners could get upset, this this gets them upset. And it is a gargantuan amount of money. I mean, $60 million minimum with a two-and-a-half bonus, two-and-a-half million-dollar bonus they paid the buyout for – Tepper did for Baylor – and then he could earn up to seventy million. Well, what about the John Gruden deal? That was like a hundred million dollars, and I didn't. I, I'm just I'm telling you what was reported. Now let me get to my. That's been Byron, by the way, producer of the show. Let me get to let me get to my thinking on this. It doesn't count against the cap, so I don't know why the owners would be. And it's Tepper's money. I mean, if Tepper's foolish enough to drop seventy million on an unproven coach at the pro level. Tepper's business. He owns the team. So that that I don't understand why they are upset and think that sets any kind of, of market rate. I don't think it does. Hey, look, it could have ended up with Joe Judge. That was something today. I don't know if we got any sound from that, but that was something today. Here come to Judge. Joe Judge uh, hired by the G-Men. Cleveland says they want to have their coach in line by uh, Saturday is when they're looking to have that deal done with with somebody. I think McDaniels interviewed yesterday. I think that was correct. Either the day before or yesterday he interviewed in Cleveland. But right now, the Browns, who you could argue out of all these destinations or situations, save the Cowboys, maybe have the most upside, at least with their personnel, uh, don't have a coach. Now, there's dysfunction abound in Cleveland, so that takes away a lot from the upside. And... Jerry Jones in Dallas obviously takes away from a lot of the upside as well. I was disappointed that neither Tepper or Jerry Jones yesterday didn't wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving. Now, if we had our act together, we would have done the uh, little shave that didn't, but that's okay. That's fine. We're, we're getting the room refunctional or functional again, which I guess would, would not be refunctional because I don't think that's a word. Uh, but we're getting it ready to go again. Uh, so we uh, will talk to uh, Antoine Staley about that. UNC losing last night to Pitt. Uh, so Jason Capel got a win in the Dean Dome. He got to experience what that's like. That is another. That would be another joke, jokey joke there. Uh, of course, Jason Capel, part of Jeff Capel's staff. So uh, that happened last night. Uh, NC State actually uh, defeated Notre Dame, and then uh, Duke rallied late to to beat uh, Georgia Tech. ECU with their enormous win on uh, Tuesday against USF, a game in which the Pirates uh, played very, very well, didn't let what happened or didn't happen at Wichita State affect them. And I think it was probably good they had so many days off between games. Gave Coach Dooley a chance to kind of refocus that group, and he did. Uh, I thought, obviously, Jaden Gardner played superb defensively at times. I thought ECU played well. Point guard position a little questionable, some turnovers that you can't have. Pirates have turned it over probably a little too much the last three games. And uh, defensively, nobody rotating back at the point, too. That was that was something that kind of allowed USF to get back into the uh, game. But it still was a big win. Uh, we, we had this uh, queued up, and we're playing it uh, yesterday when we started the show here. 
and uh, this was uh, Jaden Gardner's reaction. I just think these th- these two cuts, as far as his reaction to the game, uh, is you can just tell how excited he was. He was really fired up, and he showed a lot of emotion. And he has, even though he's shown some emotion at time, that was the most the most in my observation of him uh, animated, verbose that he's been in showing emotion uh, in a win, and, and maybe is sort of emerging as. No doubt he's the unquestionable leader of the team, but perhaps a more vocal kind of uh, leader, uh, an emotional leader, which is a good thing. You you certainly need that on teams. This is his reaction to the win the other night, Jaden Gardner. Uh, it was like it was like a it's like a movie. It had its ups, it had its downs, but um, you also come out with a good feeling at the end when you lead a movie. So uh, I think we we played our heart. Out tonight, we had stretches when we were amazing. We had stretches when we were bad. And we had stretches where we were just solid. And solid wins a lot of games in this league. The final 15 to 20 seconds, Jaden went through that defensively. It was heartbreaking. Um, shot it, got the rebound. Uh, Collins gets it. I block it. And then instead of like just coming like down so I can get it, it goes out of bounds. They got another chance. And then we just get another stop. And then Tristan goes to the free throw line. He misses it. And then they got a chance to shoot it. He bobbles it. So it was just... There's just a lot of stuff going on, but ultimately we came out on top. Joe Dooley had a big uh, reaction himself after the uh, win over USF the other night. Let's uh, get to that cut real quick. I wanted to get that on today. Uh, good win for our guys. I thought we got off to a pretty good start and sort of uh, I thought our defense really carried us for the most part today, which we needed to. And, uh, you know, the big thing I was happy with was, you know, when we got ourselves in the jam at the end and they took the lead, we sort of found a way to battle our way out of it. And, uh, you know, you've been controlling the game the whole time, and then all of a sudden someone takes a lead. you got a choice of, you know, feel sorry for yourselves or, or, or go out and do something about it. And the guys went out and did something about it. We're going to give away a, a family four-pack of tickets, uh, two family four-pack of tickets today. We're going to give away a, a pair to Saturday's game or a four-pack to Saturday's game here in just a few minutes. SMU's coming to town at 11-2. Uh, I don't know how that game is going to turn out, but I don't think – you could say really ECU and Tulane, but certainly ECU is not going to be this pushover uh, anymore in the league. Uh doesn't mean they're going to win uh, a record number of conference games or anything like that this year, but I, I think this is going to be a tougher place to play. And I really hope Saturday there's a big crowd uh, at the game. You know, we're sort of back off the holiday stuff now. I can understand beginning of the week, weeknight a little tough. Everybody was getting back in the swing of things, although the crowd was pretty good. Uh, but you could have a really, really good crowd on Saturday. It's early in the afternoon, so it, it's not one of those things that uh, wrecks your plans. It, uh, you know, something you could do during the course of your day and still have your evening ahead of you. And uh, a big crowd would, would be going a long way, especially with SMU coming in because they are mighty uh, tough. But uh, ECU, f- a fantastic win for them. Uh, Brian Mull from Forbes.com uh, on uh, college basketball, including the Pirates. He was real impressed with uh, Jaden Gardner. Uh, the other night, uh, we were texting yesterday, and he was uh, taking a look at that game and watching in on it. He watches a, a ton of games during the course of the week, but uh, has paid a lot of attention as he's uh, covered ju- uh, the Pirates in the uh, off season uh, for the Blue Ribbon Book, and uh, has t- talked to Joe a lot this year. So we'll uh, we'll have uh, him on. Antoine Staley, ECU alum, now covering the Pirates, uh, or excuse me, the Panthers in uh, a little bit. Uh, a ton of stuff to get to there. ECU baseball with some news today, uh, rounding out their schedule by adding a uh, early March game. Uh, we'll tell you who that opponent is uh, going to be, plus uh, a lot more uh, here on the Patrick Johnson Show. Let's uh, do caller number what, guys? 
We'll do five. Caller five here at 252-561-GAME, 252-561-4263. Uh, we're going to do that for you, and you'll win a four-pack of tickets to uh, ECU at SMU 2 o'clock on Saturday, Williams Arena, Minji's Coliseum. Caller five will be the winner there at 252-561-GAME. That's 561-4263. A timeout will return, and uh, Antoine Staley will join us. Uh, some sound from the Matt Rule presser yesterday that we didn't get to, and uh, Matt's, uh, or rather, uh, Antoine's thoughts on that. That's when we return on the Patrick Johnson Show. You can now listen to 94.3 The Game anywhere, anytime. That's a bold statement. Listen to us on your smart speaker. Simply ask Alexa or Google to stream WRHD and connect with us at home, work, or anywhere. We're on TuneIn Radio at 94.3 The Game, so take us anywhere you go. Patrick Johnson. For a guy who thinks he's cool, you're sure no fun. This is the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. Little Ja Rule for Matt Rule. Clever. Antoine Staley covers the Carolina Panthers, ECU alum. He joins us uh, on the phone. Always great to catch up uh, with uh, Antoine. Happy New Year to you. Uh, Hey, how's it going? Doing very well. Uh, Doing very well, yeah. We're we're getting ready for... uh, for, uh, well, the, the national championship game. I know you went to one of the bowl games. We're getting ready for the uh, the second weekend of the playoffs without the pan- without the Patriots or the Saints. <laughs> and I'm not mad at yeah. the Saints not being involved. The Patriots, I, I, I wouldn't mind if the Patriots were still in because I think they're such a great foil. But I'm just glad Drew Brees is yeah. out. Yeah, it's a little weird, definitely without the Patriots. But um, it should be a lot of fun on Saturday and Sunday for sure. No, I think so. I think so. Uh, Antoine with us. He covers the uh, Panthers. I want to play a Matt Rule uh cut from yesterday's press conference uh, for you and I want to get your reaction uh, to it uh and I thought this thing you know it had a lot of energy but it was like part tent revival part high school graduation it was really something uh so here's what uh, Matt Rule had to say and this is pretty subdued pretty close to the vest here when he talked uh, was asked about uh, a conversation with Cam Newton and I have the utmost respect for for him and what he's done and I love the way he talked to me to be quite honest he didn't he didn't want to talk about the past he wanted to talk about the future and so um but other than that I you know I would rather much rather talk to those guys and kind of get a feel for not just Cam but all the players in the roster and and really have a good process moving forward so I I don't know if you can read anything into that I think Cam still they have to see where he's going to be injury wise before any decisions are are truly made but uh does a Matt Rule Cam Newton marriage seem like it would be a good one uh yeah it's possible um you if you look at some of the stuff that uh, Matt Rule and Baylor did uh, there, especially with the read option and uh, RPOs, yeah, I definitely think it's a possibility that Camden could be a good fit. We talk about the NFL today now, which a lot you've seen a lot of teams have mobile quarterbacks, and of course, Cam Newton was one of the guys, especially in the 2000s, that's done such a good job with that, um, and doing what he's doing, uh, throwing the ball, passing the ball, and also. Look at where he was prior. I mean, prior to his shoulder injury in 2018, we're talking about he was he's on par, on pace to have put up better numbers since MVP season mm-hmm. in 2015. The problem is, is obviously injuries, and talked about the shoulder. Uh, definitely, his sec- he, has, he ended up having his second shoulder surgery in three years after 2018, and then 
you compound that with a foot injury. So I think Matt Rule was just doing his due diligence. He just got there. He wants to see where Cam Newton is. And David Tepper was also asked about it. So he just definitely uh, didn't share much about it either. So my thinking, my belief is they're just going to see what Cam is in March. And then from that point on, they're going to make a decision. But uh, I definitely think the way you can look at it is, David Tepper said it's going to be a long-term situation. They gave Matt Rule a seven-year contract, so it could be a rebuilding situation. So uh, if you read into that, then it's still a it's still a good chance. It's still a possibility that Cam Newton may not be there. But even if he even if he's not, then they still want to take their time and make the decision. Antoine Staley, ECU alum, covering uh, the Carolina Panthers, has covered the NFL for years. Uh, does a great job. Great to have him uh, on the phone with us uh, here on the Patrick Johnson Show. You know, I think isn't the best option for the Panthers a 100% healthy Cam Newton rather than tanking and trying to draft someone or or maybe even looking to draft someone this year uh, with the seven pick in the first round at quarterback? I mean, ultimately, isn't the best deal here, regardless of term of of, of Matt Rule's uh, contract, for for Cam Newton to be 100% healthy? Because it's not like he's 37. I mean, he is 31. Yeah, I, I think as far as uh, – I think it's a couple of things. It depends on how how much they like the quarterbacks coming out in the draft. Remember, the Panthers are drafting seven. So, uh, I don't know. Obviously, Joe Burrow's not going to be available. Uh, I don't think two is going to be available because I think hmm. the Dolphins are going to draft him. Mm-hmm. And then you look at some of the other guys that are uh, there. Justin Herbert will be available. Uh, Jacob Beeson, Jake Fromm. If they like any of those guys, then maybe they do draft one. But – yeah, I, I def for me, I definitely think that if they it depends on what they're trying to. If they think they need to rebuild and get tear things down, then obviously I think you make a decision to move on from Cam Newton and possibly maybe uh see if you could trade him and get something for him. If not, then yeah, you just run it one more year with Cam Newton. That's probably what I would do to see if he can stay healthy. If he can't, then the worst case scenario is you go with Cal Allen and Will Greer and you run it and you bottom out. Uh, and then you get a top draft pick next year, and then you kind of start over there at the quarterback position. But, yeah, that's probably what I would end up doing to see if you can get Cam Newton healthy uh, first and foremost. And if you can't, then, yeah, you just try to get one of the top quarterbacks next year. Yeah. Would that be uh, – Trevor Lawrence would be eligible, I guess. I guess it depends on if he wants to come out after his junior year next year. That yes. would be – Yes. And, and that seems to be a fit, but you gotta, you're going to have to tank – I mean, you're going to have to be really bad to to be able to be in that position to draft him. That's the thing. Yeah, you got you got Trevor Lawrence. You also got uh, Justin Fields there as well. And uh, I'll say this too, and a lot of people uh, already kind of paid Trevor Lawrence there to be the number one pick. But I'll say this: a lot of people didn't think Joe Burrow would be the number one pick this time last year. Yes, so that's true. It's always that it's always that one guy that comes out of nowhere uh, that you don't expect to that's they get so hot on draft boards. So uh, we don't know who that is yet, probably. So you never know. So I'm sure it'll be another contender there for the number one spot other than Fields and Her- uh, Fields and uh, Lawrence there next year, too, as well. You know, there's the phrase, Antoine, read, winning the press conference. And, uh, I, you know, I think Rule, I mean, it's hard to lose a press conference, but I think Rule provided a lot of enthusiasm and ump, and I could see where David Tepper would be uh, turned on by, by that in a coach. Um, so... What's the reaction been out in Charlotte among kind of the fan base? Because, you know, a lot of covering the team now, too, is getting that reaction from fans because things are so interactive now. 
with uh, athletes and media, with with uh, fans of teams and all that. So, what, what feedback have you been getting? What do you what do you kind of feel like when the Matt Rule announcement is made and, and after the press conference? And here we are, forty eight hours after all this happened. Well, it's like with anything else. You got people that. Uh, and one to somebody else, and you have other people that were definitely excited about it. What's funny is, unlike a lot of press conferences, the Panthers actually had some fans from the uh, Roaring Riot there yesterday and, and uh, watching the press conference with Matt Rule. That's definitely uh, unusual to have uh, some, not a select group of fans there, along with media and other uh, staff and people watching uh, there at a, uh, an industrial press conference. But, yeah. 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 Uh, I definitely think it's um, been mixed, but you, that's the that's to be expected because there's some people that want to air uh, be enemy. There's some other people that uh, maybe wanted Josh McDaniels or some other names out there. But in the end, nobody knows if this is going to work out. We have no idea. It's really going to board. It's going to boil down to a f- couple of things. One, who Matt Rule puts around some stuff with as far as staff. Uh, obviously, he has some NFL experience, so he know he has some guys that that's been in the league there. I definitely think that's going to count. And also the fact that the players, it's always depending on what, no matter what sports you talk about, it's about the talent that you have. And can he surround the Panthers with enough talent in order to win? That's really the determine if he's going to fail or succeed at his position. So, but yeah, we, we really have no idea if it's going to work out or not, but those are the two, re- those are the two things that you have to look for, especially uh, moving forward. Our pal ECU alum, Antoine Staley covering the Panthers. He's with us uh, on the phone here. Good to have him on. Uh, you know, everybody says, and it's easy to say, look at all of these college coaches who have gone to the pros and not done anything. And obviously there's a list there. It's more than just a trend. But but a lot of those guys had had success, like uber success, uh, in, in, in the college ranks before going on to the pro ranks. Where a guy like Bill O'Brien, you could debate whether he's been successful at Texas, but, I mean, they've been in the uh, – Houston, but they've been in the playoffs. Uh, you know, he was kind of on his way up. You know, he he didn't he didn't come in with this great uh, track record of success behind him. Uh, you know, that's kind of Matt Rule here. It's not like he's been the most dominant uh, coach for the last ten years of college football. Now he's done a great job rebuilding two programs that were in very low depths for very different reasons. Uh, so I, I wonder if this has a chance to be a little more successful because of you know not being set in his ways if you get it, if you follow me what i'm saying it seems like rules a little more evolved and maybe a little more of a student of the game type yeah I, i'm glad you brought up bill o'brien i mean yeah he, he's somebody that was the patriots offensive coordinator and then took over a terrible situation at penn state obviously uh everything that happened there and then ended up getting the texans job and uh for all the counts has done a really good job there uh you know i know it's take, they've taken some criticism uh, at times during his tenure, but well, they're, they're all, still they, playing this weekend. You know, I mean, yeah. that's one thing. Yeah, they've been in the playoffs. They've won a number of division titles, so you really can't argue with that type of success there. But yeah, uh, Rule is obviously he has some NFL experience, a uh, very small NFL experience, but it is some NFL experience. And one thing I do like is, again, as you mentioned, he's taken over some really bad situations uh, at Temple. Uh, took over a really poor Temple team and ended up reviving that program uh, and left it in a better place there uh, to the fact that they're still successful even today. And then you look at the Baylor situation, and obviously that's kind of similar to the Penn State situation um, in some respects there, uh, considering what all that happened there. 
But yeah, they were in a bad place. Uh, they were one and eleven his first year, and then winning. They were eleven and three this year, his final year at Baylor. So yeah, he definitely left it in a lot, a much better spot than when he took over. So yeah, I definitely um, side with guys that can take over really tough situations. That they can really get out of that because typically when you come into it, when you take over an NFL job. Uh, you're taking over a bad situation, uh, typically, and the Panthers with eleven five and eleven record, uh, considering the fact that they've lost eight straight games to end the year, and yeah. really they they were in free fall the last couple of years. This is definitely a as bad as a tough a situation that you could find. So I'm curious, I'm definitely uh, curious to see what he can do in this uh, whole ordeal. And, and real quick, Antoine, before we let you go, uh, it looks like Marty Herney is going to kind of kind of survive all this, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, he's gonna he's gonna be the guy. He's gonna be the general manager, and in fact, the Panthers are trying to hire somebody that could be his assistant, which I imagine will be his heir apparent at some point. There, uh, they, David Temper likes Marty Herney. He believes he's a guy that uh, knows his stuff as far as the draft. Uh, even though attorneys has some questionable draft picks, but uh, Temper really likes him, and that's the reason why he's gonna continue to stay at least for. The short term, short term, long term. I'm not so sure. I'm sure they're trying to figure out an exit plan for him, probably uh, right. in, the, in the future, the next couple of years. But at least for the uh, this year, maybe uh, a year after that, they're definitely going to keep Marty Herney there at the general manager position. I just find it hard to believe Ron Rivera was the problem. Nah, he's not. He's not the problem. You I just think that because essentially that's what David David Tepper's saying. And and I get well, you know the same voice in the room and and what have you, but I mean there's just there seems like there's more problems than just the head coach with the Panthers. Right? Oh, it is. Oh, it is. Uh, well, I think the losing streak after Rivera left and the kind of the fact that they you know, how they look, which they looked even worse uh, when Rivera left. Uh, yeah, kind of proved that too as well. But I think it's what it's all about is just Tepper. Uh, he's owned the team for a couple of years. Uh, they have not. They've been mediocre. They have not succeeded, and he wants to pick his own guy. So I can't well, yeah, be mad true. at him. It's uh, his money. It's it, you know. It's also yeah. his money to pay uh, to pay this guy as much as he wants, which you know, reportedly the other owners are, are not happy about. But uh, I mean, it's his money. So yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Yeah, he's setting the trend there. So yeah, I'm sure he. They're definitely not happy about. That. I know the Giants weren't happy about that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's gr- always great to have Antoine Staley on with us. Uh, he uh, covered the uh, Panthers, covered the uh, Dolphins, uh, ECU alum. So that's uh, one of the reasons we like to link up with him. We're proud of him, uh, the work he's done representing ECU, uh, and uh, has done a great job. Uh, great to talk to you again, my friend, and uh, we'll we'll be in touch, I'm sure, over the next few weeks. Oh, this sounds good. You take it easy. All right, there he goes. Antoine Staley with us uh, here. Brian Mull's coming up in just a bit. Uh, ben Byram right now with a look at uh, what's happening, including ECU baseball news as far as announcing a uh, a new opponent rounding out their schedule. Uh, those deets from Ben Byram uh, in just a second here on the Patrick Johnson Show. You're listening to the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. The flagship station of the ECU Pirates. Ben Barm here for your 94.3 The Game Sports Update. ECU basketball looks to make it two straight conference wins this Saturday as they play SMU at home. The Pirates have notoriously struggled against SMU, only winning four of 14 of their all-time contests, and ECU currently right on a 10-game losing streak to the Stangs. Pirates star forward Jaden Garner talked about how important it is for Pirate Nation to show up and show out on Saturday. The crowd was amazing. Um, just 
students starting to come back, so when the students we meet, we uh, mix with the fans that's already here, Menjis will be crazy. Menjis, Menjis, uh, we need you guys, we need your support, and your support really helps us tonight on the big defensive stand, so just come out here and keep supporting us. You know, keep fighting for you guys all season long. In Pirate Baseball, ECU has completed its 2020 baseball schedule after it was announced earlier today that the Pirates will host, play host to Liberty on Wednesday, March the 4th. First pitch is slated for 4 p.m. at Lewis Field inside Clark LeClaire Stadium. The Pirates are set to open the season at home against William Mary on Friday, February the 14th at 4 p.m. In college hoops action, tipping off at 7, UNC double battles William and Mary. The Seahawks come in as 12-point underdogs. Then a ranked matchup between two conference heavyweights, the 23rd-ranked Wichita State. Host 21st-ranked Memphis. The Shockers come in as four-point favorites. 19th-ranked Michigan hosts Purdue. The Wolverines, four-point favorites. At 8, App State travels to Texas Arlington. The Mountaineers are three-point underdogs at 9, another ranked matchup. Ninth-ranked Oregon hosts 24th-ranked Arizona. The Ducks, three-point favorites. Eighth-ranked Michigan State hosts Minnesota. The Sparks, 12-point favorites. And wrapping up at 10 o'clock, top-ranked Gonzaga battles San Diego State. Gonzaga, 15.5-point favorites. For college football, it was reported today that Mike Leach has accepted the head coaching position at Mississippi State. Leach, who has been at Washington State for the past seven seasons, will hold his official introductory press conference tomorrow at noon. Leach's overall record as the head coach, head coach is 139-90. and 90. And the American star Memphis quarterback Brady White released an official statement today announcing that he will in fact return for the tar- Tigers for next season. White, who led the Tigers to an AAC championship and a Cotton Bowl appearance, threw for 33 touchdowns and over 4,000 yards, both good enough for top 10 in the country among active quarterbacks last season. In the NFL, Ravens running back Mark Ingram has been cleared to return for the divisional playoff game this Saturday versus the Tennessee Titans. So Mark Ingram's first game back since suffering a calf injury in Week 15 against the Steelers. Also regarding injuries, Vikings receiver Adam Thielen is questionable for Saturday's game against the Minnesota Vikings. Thielen reportedly cut his ankle in practice, which required stitches, and he did not practice today. The Eagles are expected to part ways with offensive coordinator Mike Groh and wide receiver coach Carson Walsh today. No word yet on any possible replacements. Beer 94.3 The Game Sports Update. I'm in Barham. The Patrick Johnson Show. He's the perfect stud muffin. He's a menace to society. Every weekday at 5 on 94.3 The Game. Eric Skeggs was our winner earlier. I meant to mention that. Uh, we'll give away another pair of tickets before the end of the show. Actually, uh, a four-pack of tickets to see ECU and SMU on Saturday. Brian Mould joining us uh, here. Brian, college basketball writer for several outlets, including uh, Forbes.com, a contributor to their uh, sports blog and uh, college hoops and golf and uh, some other stuff. Uh, Brian, also uh, part of Joe Lenardi's team with uh, ESPN and uh, just some other things that he does. He's all over the place and uh, golf at the caddy network, which is uh, a big deal. Uh, Brian, how are you? Happy new year. Hey Patrick doing well, bud. Yeah, everything's good. We have uh, UNC losing another game in sort of a sparsely populated Smith center last night. (laughs) And you know, Roy Williams, has taken a lot of heat for calling this crowd uh, the least, uh, essentially least talented, least gifted, I think, is the term, to, to quote him directly. You know, when you look at all of Roy's greatest hits, this does not even register, in my opinion. Uh, you know, comparing comparing his basketball team's problems to the problems in Haiti in 2010 seemed a little much. Uh, you know, 
his his kid during the downturn in the economy losing his job uh, and bemoaning that out when he lost his banking job in Charlotte when you had reporters that were furloughed there working and covering that uh, ridiculous statement seemed a little much. What do I know? Uh, we know Roy's we know Roy's emotional, uh, but um, you know I think people are getting all caught up on how he has said all this and not what he's saying. And what he's saying is this crowded good enough to not show up and be fully engaged and play their best every night. Right. And that's been the issue with this team. That's kind of been the recurring theme in all of his various chats with the media midweek post game when, you know, to his credit, he's been extremely candid and honest and uh, he's been disappointed in the execution. Just the simple, following of instructions of, of knowing where you're supposed to be on plays, uh, the, the learning curve there, if you will. And, and, and now look, we're, we're at a point in the season where uh, there, there's not a whole lot of learning to be done. Let's be honest. Once we get into conference play for any team at any level, I mean, yes, teams are going to evolve and develop, but you kind of are who you are by this point in the season. I know they're missing Cole Anthony, uh, certainly a very talented player, but they were making a lot of these same mistakes and having a lot of these same chemistry and effort and execution issues when Cole Anthony was playing. So the problems are deep. Uh, it's not a talented group. The, the numbers back that up. I'm looking at their shooting statistics right now. I've never seen a North Carolina or Roy Williams coach team. I, I, I would not believe it if you covered up the name on the top of the sheet and told me it was a UNC team. Uh, I mean, his teams have been offensive juggernauts for 30 years. So they, they can't rely on scoring, and, and their defense is just marginal. They don't really turn you over. It is a good rebounding team. They still have that, but uh, they they have a lot of questions to answer. The one thing in their favor, this is probably the weakest ACC that I can remember. Yeah. Uh, it's by far, I mean, it's clearly no better than the fourth best conference. And it's, you know, for the last decade been number one or number two. And uh, there's just not the level of uh, next level talent, elite pro talent. And you've got some traditional teams, some teams that are, I mean, if you look at the bottom of the standings right now, you've got six teams at one and three. They've all been to the NCAA tournament in the last couple of years. Even Wake Forest went in 2017 and, uh, Miami, Florida was in a Sweet 16 a few years ago. Clemson was in a Sweet, and, you know, Syracuse is perennial. Notre Dame was in an Elite Eight. Or, you know, th- those teams are all one and three right now, and and just trying to f- to find some answers. We got Brian Mole with us uh, here. Brian uh, covered college basketball, Forbes dot com, uh, others as uh, as well. Um, I wanted, you know, the, the other thing is this: in, in among all of the dad gums and the uh, crappin and and all the other little uh, Roy idioisms. He also is is putting as much blame on himself as he's doing in this whole thing. And I'm no Roy Williams guy, but I mean, you know, I, I just I, I the the breathless hand wringing from uh, from the national media on this just seems a little uh, a little much. But I mean, I, I guess we're at the time of the year where we need some stories during the week. Well, he was on his radio show. He was being honest, and you know, let's face it. Talent's important. There's a reason that all these coaches try to recruit the best players every year. And, you know, they're kind of in a down cycle with that. They've got a great class coming in next year. Anthony has been hurt 
Uh, he has been probably about what they expected. I mean, he hasn't had all great games when he's played, but but he's certainly been a good player. And the pieces just don't seem to fit together for whatever reason. And I think that's his frustration as a coach. He doesn't see the, the progress that he would expect from a team that's, as he would say, getting their tail beat now, quite regularly. There's, there are the ABCers who are delighting in this and saying, well, this is this is kind of the – the deserved year. This is uh, what they maybe should have gotten that they didn't get in the the wake of the F FM uh, controversy. With all that said, I mean a lot of this where we are now is because of that lingering on as long as it did. In a way, lawyering oh, up and, and carrying that thing on forever. Now they eventually get cleared of it, but lawyering up like they did and pouring all that money into it that they did and, and keeping it going in the courts uh, is is essentially led them to where they are right now, if you, if you want to get right down to it. No doubt. It affected multiple recruiting classes, especially with the elite talent. Uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, the narrative that Roy didn't want to recruit one and Duns was always a farce. He's always wanted to have the best talent. He's had his share of those since he's been at UNC. He recruited those guys, but when those allegations were hanging over the program, nobody wanted to go there, rightfully so, for one year with the with the possibility that a month before the season started, UNC got slapped with probation for a year or two. So he did miss out on on those guys and, and probably some other guys that he that he wanted as well. And uh, they're you know they're, it shows on the court with the with the talent level they have. It's just not what we've come to expect. And uh, I, I don't know that it's going to get much better. I do think they, they have a little bit of room for improvement because they have two very good big guys, but their guard play has been hideous. Uh, Brian Mall, Forbes.com with us, Blue Ribbon uh, preseason book as well. He had ECU and Joe Dooley uh, in that uh, publication that uh, comes out every year, beginning of the college basketball season, uh, kind of like that Phil Steele magazine, uh, in a sense, for uh, for college basketball junkies. Uh, you know, Joe was very big on on his guard play uh, coming into the year. Uh, the other night, uh, I think you're still getting too many, you know, too many negative plays out of that spot. Uh, and I have a feeling that'll change. But, uh, I, you know, I think so far, Tremont Robinson-White, uh, Joe would tell you, you know, has been back that long. The injury situation is what it is. And it has, you know, maybe caused him to, to second-guess himself physically at times. But I also think Joe was even expecting a little more out of him kind of at this point. Well, he had three pretty good games in a row leading into that. You know, three double-figure scoring games. And he had a fair number of assists in a couple of those games. But turnovers have been a huge problem. Uh, five against Eastern Kentucky, seven against Wichita State. And that's just – that's unacceptable for any coach. Uh, you want to feel like you can trust your floor leader, your point guard out there to to – you know, run your offense and, and get a shot on every possession, especially when you have a, a guy who's having an all-American caliber season down low like Jaden Gardner is. And uh, I would expect their uh, – I'm, I'm I don't know whether there will be a lineup change, but uh, I would imagine that uh, Dooley may tighten some things up to try to relieve some of the pressure off Robinson White because they've, they've shown when they do get a shot, they're, they're pretty good on the initial shot. And they also have, a, a, you know, some guys who can go chase the rebound down. And, and their defense has actually been fairly solid, you know, in both of these American games. And I think obviously, you know, only giving up 75 points at Wichita State's a pretty good sign that they're going to be able to compete on the defensive end against most teams in the American. You know, I think they shot it fairly well the other night. Uh, didn't shoot the free throws well, obviously. 
uh, against South Florida. I mean, South Florida wasn't going to roll over and, and go away. I mean, that's that's the thing. They had a lot of pride in that program. They're not quite what they were. They've got a great coaching staff. So, I mean, I, I think that is easily the uh, the biggest win of, of the season to date. Now you have SMU coming in, and uh, I'm anxious to see how ECU responds to a little bit of uh, prosperity here because they played very well at Wichita State. They will have won five of six coming in. They're 500 in the conference. I know it's very early, but but – you know, how do you play with the potential there being a bigger crowd, uh, some of the students back, that sort of thing, and how do you react when a very good SMU team comes in uh, that uh, has really been great this year so far? Yeah, they have to just stay focused on the task at hand and realize they really haven't accomplished anything yet. Uh, you know, nobody's given out any trophies in mid-January for a 7-8 and eight record. And 1-1, one and one, uh, certainly uh, Joe's not satisfied with just – being close and, and uh, hanging around in games. I mean, they want to keep piling up the wins, and this is an opportunity with two more games at home before, you know, they, they have to head out on the road some in the, in the conference to, to beat two teams that, uh, you know, if they're trying to climb in the standings, SMU and Tulsa are the type of teams they have to beat at home. Uh, Tulsa has, has kind of been up and down, uh, un, a little unpredictable SMU feels like they have a tournament caliber team from some comments I've read from Tim Jankovic here in the last week, but mm-hmm. they didn't do a lot in the non-conference. So they're going to really have to have an impressive run through the American. So you'll get their best shot. Uh, you know, it, it's conference play. It's great. Like you've got to protect your home court in conference play to have a good season. It's pretty simple because it's just very difficult to win on the road in any conference, especially one like the American, especially when you have 11 new players uh, who have no experience of success at this level as a, as a group or really individually either. So they've, uh, you know, they've just got to keep their head down and, and, and plug along game by game and, and hopefully stay healthy because I do think they have, you know, the talent where they look like a team that should compete in that conference. Yeah. Now. SMU, uh, two o'clock Saturday, uh, and then, uh, Tulsa on, uh, Wednesday, a week from, uh, yesterday, uh, the 15th before, uh, trips to, uh, Cincinnati and SMU, and then, uh, back home to end the month for a couple of games, uh, Tulane, a team that, uh, again, you kind of have to beat here at Minji's, uh, on the 25th. And then on the uh, 29th, uh, Houston. Uh, at home and uh, Houston's very good and will be uh, that will not be uh, an easy deal but if you've if you've to that point kind of weathered things you're in uh, you know still in in kind of a competitive uh, stance I think uh, a lot of folks will come out and get behind you at home against uh, against Houston Uh, Jaden Garter you mentioned you said all-american caliber season here I mean is that uh, is that potential for him you think is is certainly in all conference it seems like uh, would be a, very much a potential for uh, him. And, and right now, early on, in buying for the player of the year in the league. Yeah, I mean, if he keeps producing at this level through conference play in, in you know, one of the top six or seven conferences in the, you know, in the country and, and averages a double-double, shooting the percentage he, the percentages he has and just having an all-around impact on the game. I mean, the other night he had three assists, a couple of blocks, a couple of steals. If he continues producing at this level, he would certainly be worthy of, you know, at the very least, honorable mention, All-American uh, consideration. And as you said, uh, you know, a strong candidate if the Pirates can win enough games for, for first team All-League and, and maybe even in the conversation for Player of the Year. I mean, you just can't uh, – it's, it's, it's just hard to find guys out there that are as productive as he is night in and night out 
Uh, he's going to uh, – I mean, there were times in that South Florida game when he caught the ball and there were three, if not four, people near him. So a big part of his development through the rest of the season is going to be getting the ball out of there and the Pirates moving it to get get a very good open shot or maybe re, you know him reposting and finding him again for an, for an easy bucket down low. But he, he's just relentless in the way he attacks both sides of the court. And you could just see it sense the emotion on his face last night when it – became apparent that game was in hand it it means a lot to him to win and because of that I'm sure he has the respect of his teammates and his coaching staff and that's what you want in your best player we're up against it Brian we got to go thank you buddy I appreciate it hit him straight tomorrow uh, for a Friday round thanks Patrick have a great one all right there he goes uh, Brian Mull of Forbes.com thanks to Brian thanks to Antoine Staley uh, let's give away tickets real quick we'll take caller three Two five two five six one game two five two five six one four two six three a four pack of tickets to ECU and SMU on Saturday. Give us a call if you're caller three at the two five two five six one game. You will be a winner. We'll have more on ECU SMU tomorrow. So join us then, Patrick Johnson Show. Have a great evening, everybody. <laughs>